I thought about that a little bit about explaining your scars. And then it sort of just came to me like, scars should be embraced. It shows that we've overcome an adversity. From Spall Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. Well, if you have children who've ever needed uh, medical attention or hospitalization or maybe even a vaccine, or if you're a provider who takes care of children, you know that explaining a concussion or a hernia or a vaccination can be confusing and scary and complicated. You even think of four years ago, having to take our middle son to the hospital, which turned into a week-long stay. And he's confused about what's happening and why is it taking so long? And I feel fine. Why am I even here? And these are tough issues. I'm excited because my guest today on the Prosperous Doc podcast is kind of speaking exactly to this situation. I'm here with Dr. Maria Bamis-George, a surgery resident with Atrium Healthcare in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as if being a surgery resident doesn't keep her busy enough, somehow this topic of speaking to children has become such a passion and falls in her talent suite. She is making the time to author and illustrate an entire series of children's books aimed at helping to explain and calm their fears about things going on in their bodies, whether it requires a hospital stay or just a procedure with their pediatrician. It is something that is really filling a void. I'm excited to hear about your story. I'm excited to hear about the research that's gone on and share it with our listeners today. So Dr. Bamis-George, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very grateful and honored to be invited to join you. Well, uh, you've got a great story to tell. So before I ask you even about just your your medical training and what brought you into Mm -hmm. medicine, I want to ask you, when did you learn or become fascinated with writing stories or drawing (laughs) and art? So that's actually been since I was, per my mother, since I was in almost preschool, if not younger. I started writing at a really early age. I think it was like two years old or so. I was a little bit, I think, a smidge advanced for... And that tapered off, don't worry. But I was a smidge advanced initially. And so I was obsessed with writing stories. And I thought up until maybe probably high school, I thought I was going to be an author. And so I had... My mom had boxes of stories that I used to write when I was little, ranging from things about like elves and who knows what. And so that was something I've always kind of been passionate about tapered off. And then um, I always loved my English classes, though. And then it's kind of re-emerged, I would say. Well, and somewhere in here, you learned how to sketch and draw and paint. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sort of happened on accident, too. My, my mom is actually this incredible artist. She's a lawyer, a recently retired lawyer. But she is an incredible artist and paints the most beautiful things. And so that kind of I was kind of born into that talent a little bit. And so I I like to draw every now and again, but I never took art classes. And then in medical school, I started drawing a little bit more for a way to de-stress. 
So my drawings are very amateur. Like there's no perspective. I, I don't know how to draw well at all, but they work, I think, for, for their purpose for children's literature, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you were saying in high school, you're thinking I'll be an author. Somewhere yeah. in here, though, you kind of get the bug and think, I think maybe I'll go into medicine. What triggered that? So I'm not even sure when that initially got triggered. I always loved science. And so I always loved to write. And then I also loved to do all sorts of experiments. And my mom would get me all the chemistry kits and whatnot when I was little. And in I always took science classes in high school. Those are my favorite classes. And then in college, I just kind of started along the pre-medicine track. And I don't remember what was really the breaking point or that, that turning point where I was like, I want to be a doctor. But in between actually college and medical school, I knew I was, I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but I wasn't 100% sure. And so I did a couple of years actually at Brigham and Women's Hospital doing some research in the hospital setting to see if it was something I did truly love. And I did and went to medical school. You know, it was really just growing up. I loved English and I loved science. And then now I feel like they're merging, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, now you've got two jobs. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so tell me, was there an experience in, in medical school or, or as you began your residency that, that kind of brought these two things together for you? Yeah. So when I was on the pediatric surgery service, which we rotate on as interns, my first year residency, ultimately, I saw you know, there was a lot of different instances where I felt like either parents or children didn't understand what were, what was going on. And I think we never mean to do this, but as doctors, we go to med school for four years. And in that four years, we're, we're kind of learning another language. And then parents or you know, patients, families come in and we try to explain to them what's going on in this other language. They're already fearful and anxious. That kind of compounds this issue of trying to bridge a kind of feel like it's a language barrier like I'm saying but and so I really saw that and I felt like there was a lot of even when doctors were very thorough and I feel like the information given could seem very comprehensive to me but it wasn't meeting the need of the patient and the family members per se like it felt like it was still kind of they weren't understanding what was going on and so I just kind of looked up to see if there were other resources available. And I'm a very visual person. So I I was looking up for kids. Hey, are there, are there children's books that talk about some of these common things? And I couldn't find anything. And so that kind of spurred me on to consider creating my own. And, you know, there were a few particular, I would say, instances. One was, I remember there was a new mom and her baby was born with something called gastroschisis, which is basically the abdominal wall does not close in birth the way it's supposed to. And so the baby's born with their intestines outside of their abdominal wall. And I remember she refused to see her baby after birth until after we were complete, you know, completely done with all the surgical stuff. And so dad was just at bedside of the baby. But mom was so scared by how the baby looked and fearful. And she didn't want to see her baby at all. And I think you know, gastroschisis is something that most of the time is pretty straightforward and easy to fix and baby will do absolutely fine. And kind of, you know, I think that's information that if we can give it to her in a in a less scary way and really emphasize 
like mm-hmm. what's going on and help her understand it, maybe she wouldn't have been as as fearful and nervous. Mm-hmm. What was the first topic that you decided to undertake from a um, So it was actually gastroschisis because of that. Okay. And so I initially started off with a couple NICU stories. So it was instances in the in the neonatal ICU or the NICU that really initially spurned this. And so I started off with three of those and all of those were very rare. And so then I kind of bridged out because I, I thought if I want to actually see if these had benefits, I need to do something that's more common so that I can study it. And so then I went into the first kind of common one that I wrote per se would be appendicitis, which was a fun one. What sort of research did you have to do to, I guess, find that balance between being clinically accurate or accurate enough, but yeah. also easy to understand and, and illustrate? How do you find that balance and what research have you had to do for the different categories? Yes. So I feel like it actually comes like fairly easy to me. I feel like I'm a pretty, I want to say childish person, but I, I feel like I can relate to children pretty well. And I, some of my attendings say I have like a childlike curiosity. I love Disney movies. I love like, I, I feel like I can, like I said, relate to children very well. And so when I think of a metaphor per se, I feel like it comes pretty easy to me to think of something that at least I think kids could understand well and how I can connect that with the clinical information. Research-wise, you know, a lot of these topics are stuff that I deal with often in residency. And so there was the the overall concept and creating a story that connects with it was um, not much research needed to go into that. So like with appendicitis, you know, it's an angry part of your intestine that looks like a worm. And so it was easy to say, hey, I'm going to do make this an angry worm in your belly, you know. Right, um, right. But I always I always do research at the end. I always put like a fact section, you know, doctor words and extra stuff for parents. And that I always triple double check on like credited resources that we have. And then I always have my attending pediatric surgeon or my mentor, Dr. Bambini, read through it and make sure that I'm not mm. missing anything crucial. It's a great communication principle, I think, that you're raising, which, of course, is essential in in the project you're undertaking, which is finding that metaphor to explain things. And I thought as I was looking over your content and the angry worm for appendicitis or the invasive IV for cancer Mm -hmm. is is a great communication skill, even for your colleagues out there who don't have uh, the words to write a story, but to think, how can I explain this in a way that doesn't feel as threatening and is... Uh, more easily comprehended. So by now, and I realize that I, we've mm-hmm. gotten this far in the interview, and, and I haven't mentioned the series, you eventually gave a title to this, which is The Strength yeah. of My Scars. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with that title, which I think is such a great one? So when I was, again, when I kind of initially thought of the idea for the book, it was with these patients in the NICU. And I one of the reasons I also wanted to create them for NICU babies was I can't imagine growing up and having a big scar down my belly and not, you know, you don't remember where that came from. You were a brand new baby and understanding where your scars came from. And I thought this could be another good resource for later in life for parents who, again, may not have fully understood it when it happened as well. But here's something that you can show your kids later on and say, this is why you have those scars. I thought about that a little bit about explaining your scars. And then it sort of just came to me like, Scars should be embraced. It shows that we've overcome an adversity 
we've overcome obstacles and we should embrace them rather than be ashamed of them. I really wanted that to emphasize that to kids too, because it's important to realize that even if there's something that maybe makes you a little bit different or stand out amongst your peers, it's, it's not something to be ashamed of. And so the strength of my scars, I think, speaks to that. Did that title for the series you're creating, did that come to you kind of at, at stage one when you were thinking of the, the first book or, or did that come when you realized, oh, I think I'm going to be doing a series here? When I started the first book, I pretty much when I started it, knew I was going to do multiple because I had so many that I wanted to write. And so I was like, if I can do this in a way that I think will be fun and helpful, I have all these that I want to write. And so it's pretty quick that I was like, you know, this could be cool to call the strength of my scars and kind of formatted it in such a way. What was the response of your colleagues when you started saying, hey, put together a, a coloring book for kids? <laughs> well, there was like mixed. When I remember when I had the idea, I was like lying and I, I had my, my, my ideas and I brainstormed stuff as I'm falling asleep. That's kind of my like thinking time. And I had the idea and I immediately called up my fiance and he was like, okay, <laughs> great idea. We'll see if you think this is still a good idea in the morning. Like tonight, and then I remember I talked to the pediatric surgeons I work with and I told them about it and they were like, no, that's a, that's a great idea. Like, go for it. And then I came back to them a week later. I move very fast. It's like when I get an idea and I want to do it, I do it. Otherwise, you know, I, I do not procrastinate. I, I get things done pretty quickly. And so the next week I had a, what my first book done. And they were like, oh, oh, okay, you meant that you were going to do this. <laughs> you were serious. And so they were surprised, but they ultimately really embraced it and have been so supportive. I mean, this series would not have ever gotten to where it is without the support of my pediatric surgery mentors and then the Department of Surgery at Eastern Health. I cannot express enough like my gratitude for the support that I've gotten. It's, it's been very well received. I kind of call it my side hustle and it, it's definitely weird and different for a surgery resident to be doing this, but it has been embraced and people have been wonderful about it. Yeah. We've done a, a lot of episodes on side gigs and things yeah. like that. It's, it's pretty unusual for uh, the hospital system that you're affiliated with to be such a, a big supporter of what you're okay. doing. I know Atrium Health has even helped uh, provide a grant to yeah. help facilitate the work. Tell me a little bit about that process or how that's helped. So that was actually, I think, the, the big stepping stone that got all of this really moving forward for me. So I, I created a bunch of these books and I didn't really know what to do with them. And I, I thought they would have, I thought they would help, but I, I couldn't say that for sure. I reached out to publishers actually, and I got shot down probably over 70 times. It was pretty depressing. And they were like, I got a couple personal responses being like, this is cool, but we don't know what to do with this. We don't know how to market these to hospitals and cool idea, but gonna pass. And so I kind of got, there was like a period of time where I kind of, I was still drawing and thinking of ideas, but I wasn't as I would say passionate and gung ho about it because I, I, it felt like it was fizzling out and I didn't think I would get to really get these to people. I'm on a resident salary. I, there's no way I can self publish and create this on my own. And so one of my mentors here is Dr. Brent Matthews. He's the chairman of surgery and he's an incredible human being. And so I had a meeting with him for something else and it, it came up and he brought up an idea to apply for a grant through our department and to study the book 
and see if there's real benefit. And so I created an application and it got approved and they sponsored me to start printing these books out and studying them in a randomized fashion, which is pretty incredible. And so once I started studying them, I kind of did this study over the past year and we saw significant benefit in satisfaction, comprehension or understanding and apprehension or stress in caregivers and parents of patients undergoing common pediatric surgeries. And so when I saw that benefit, that's what then spurned me, like kind of reinvigorated me. So I was like, if these really do have a benefit, I want to get them out there and I want to help. And so that, that pushed me to take these next steps and kind of jump in and take a risk in creating this website kind of on my, not completely on my own. I've had a lot of help, you know, without a publisher backing or a co- sort of a enterprise backing per se. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. What a neat journey. We got to take a quick break. And I want, and then I want to ask you a little bit about the research and the impact that you're beginning to see from this thing that really just started as, as a passion of yours. We'll be right back. Summertime comes with a lot of change for those of you who are finishing your residency or fellowship programs and heading into private practice. Whether you're going to be joining a hospital system or a medical group or becoming an associate with a dental practice, you know that there are a ton of financial decisions facing you, ranging from things like disability insurance, the right type, how much, questions about a home mortgage or how to finance it and what size house to purchase. Often there's questions around budgeting and taxes and definitely student loans, whether to go public service loan forgiveness or refinance them. All of these questions are addressed and more in the free Residents and Fellows Survival Guide that you can download in the show notes below or directly from sdtplanning.com under the free guides section. With this free guide written specifically for residents and fellows as they go through the transition phase, you'll be able to answer really important questions that will help you lay a solid foundation as you start this next journey of your career. If it's helpful for you, download it today. If you know someone who's finishing training, make sure to pass along this tip to them. You can click in the show notes below and download it or navigate directly to sdtplanning.com and navigate to free guides. And best of all, you'll have a resource in case you need future advice that would be helpful for you or your family. So before the break, we are speaking before and after the break with Dr. (laughs) uh, Maria Bamis George, surgery resident at Atrium Healthcare at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte. And uh, she is the author, as I said before the break, of this children's book series called Strength of My Scars that talks about different medical issues that children sometimes come across to help alleviate their fears and their parents' fears and their, their caregivers. Maria, you were saying before the break just how Atrium has been so supportive to you and in fact supported and endorsed the idea and subsidized the idea of of doing research on the impact of the books. And so I just want to unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you had at that time, which I sounds like was just a couple of years ago, you had a couple of topics that you'd written about. And so you basically had a, a control group of patients going through a procedure without the benefit of of your explanation through the book. And then some patients that went through this, and then there was some survey given to identify their outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. So any 
patient that came in with a, a kind of a range of conditions that we studied. I chose books that were the most common for pediatric patients. So appendicitis, we had ruptured appendicitis, so that's a different course. Umbilical hernias, need for feeding tubes or G-tubes, and then pyloric stenosis were the ones we chose initially. And so if a patient came in and had a caregiver present, and we chose to study the caregivers because for the range of ages of the pediatric patients, that would introduce a lot of, we call it confounding kind of problems because some kids obviously can understand more than others depending on their age. And so caregiver was present and wanted to participate. Uh, they were randomized to either the control group, which they did not get a book, or the experimental group, which is they got a book. And so they would fill out a survey before. And it would just be a survey that kind of asked about how much they understood. Did they feel like, you know, did they understand what their child was going through on a scale of like one to 10? It was pretty simple questionnaires that was very general and, and validated in other surgical populations. And then they would get the book or not. And then they would fill out the same survey before, after surgery and before they left the hospital. And so then we compared the two populations and the book helped a lot. And so that was really rewarding to see. Again, it really spurred me forward even more and like reinvigorated me because if these can if these can help a little bit, it's they're a simple a simple thing in the grand scheme of things. It's a it's a simple book. But if it can make a difference, that would be amazing. Now you described how in your initial idea kind of gave birth to a realization that okay, let's cover things that have a broader impact or are more common. Going forward, since I can, I can feel your energy and like there's <laughs> a limit here. Uh, yeah. as many issues as there are with kids, there's there's no limit to the topic. There's a lot. Deciding what topics to do next, you know, what's book number twenty and twenty one? Yeah. Or do you take requests? Uh, you know, can we write them on the back of a twenty dollar bill and mail them in or something? <laughs> so I've kind of done a mixture of that. I have a book list of like fifty plus ideas that I want to cover and. I uh, recently went skiing actually with some friends and um, one of them is an orthopedic surgeon and his sister was there and she's a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. And so we kind of talked about orthopedic surgery issues, which is not anything, you know, I am not an orthopedic surgeon. I don't understand that stuff at all, but that's a whole nother range of, of topics. And so that's something I actually have added to my list and I've started one of those books, but with the caveat that all of it's going to be reviewed by an orthopedic surgeon. And so it'll be like a co-written thing. So that was kind of a request. But when I choose my next book, it's usually what's like, I'll look at my list and be like, what's exciting me right now? I did the other day write a vaccine book because I feel like the, the current climate, that's really relevant. And I had talked to a pediatrician who I, who I know through, through the hospital. And she had said that could be a book that would be really useful for her patients. And so you know, that's not a surgical book, but it's very relevant. I think it could have, you know, help a lot of patients. So I was like, you know what, that'll be a fun one to do. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a mix. It's whatever's exciting me a little bit at the, that time, something that generates a fun idea that I, I could see myself enjoying drawing, um, but also what I think could help out a lot of kids. Does each time. book have its own metaphor and storyline and things like that? Or do you have some favorite characters that you've... you've <laughs> Yeah, so most of them are their own storyline and are separate, but there is one character that has come back twice, 
And her name is Bev and she's a superhero. And she's based off one of my favorite attendings. And so she had the idea, one of my favorite attendants, who's also one of my absolute best friends. She had this idea that for the ostomy book. So ostomies are um, when you pull up a piece of the intestines to the skin and it's a poop bag at your skin level. And so, you know, that's a scary thing for kids, particularly when it's new. A lot of kids and, you know, if you have an ostomy bag, maybe it's something that you, you know, your friends may or may not know about. It's, it might be something that hopefully not, but it could be something that you feel ashamed of and we don't want you to. And so her thought was to create this book where a superhero has an ostomy and showing that this superhero is so good at everything and can do everything, even with an ostomy. And everyone loves her with her ostomy. And so I loved that. So I made that attending that character. <laughs> the best part was afterwards, people were like, I didn't know Dr. You know, X had an ostomy. <laughs> so then the vaccine book, I thought it would be cool to do another, do the same superhero character. So I really liked that, that character. But in general, each book is its own story, its own set of characters. And the reason I do that is I really want like a diverse set of people to be represented in these books. And so I, I'm trying to do just, you know, again, a diverse range of characters so that kids all over can say, hey, like that looks like me or I know people like that. And look, the, those people, again, like that's exactly like me. And Instead of just having one type of character. You're right. Well, and plus, if we put superhero Bev in too many, the royalties will get kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) which is a problem. (laughs) Um, Talk a little bit about the process. You were mentioning earlier just the niche of the books not being a fit for kind of mass publishers. Mm -hmm. And so right now, people can order your books through the website. We're going to shout that out by the end of the episode. (laughs) And they're basically being self-published or just auto-published as they're, they're needed. How's that work? And are you seeing or is the thought that caregivers will just order the book as they need it? Or is the thought that hospital systems, medical practices, whatever, might put together a little inventory in-house that they can hand out complimentary to parents going through situations like this? So that's my goal, that, that kind of second part. And my goal is to have hospitals, clinics, providers buy these and give them to their patients and have them as resources for their patients. Uh, a lot of, you know, hospitals have a lot of funds for medical education and patient education that's actually reimbursed. And so my goal is maybe this could be something that could be, you know, it's a, it's not your typical pamphlet, obviously. I do think it would, like I said, you know, I, I really believe in these. And I'd rather, you know, I'd rather it be just, you know, bought by a hospital and given to a patient than bought by a patient. However, we're also going to have them available for individual purchase. Like you said, there we have a website now. And that way, I think as a kid growing up who was interested in science, I have no I had no idea like what a surgeon even was, what different specialties a surgeon were. I had no idea any of that stuff. There aren't many children's books about this. So I think there's my other thought process for the books is they're they're interesting books for kids who are just interested in medicine and science. And me as a kid, and granted, I'm the one writing them. I feel like I would have liked them as a kid. So I think, you know, that's another reason we're having them be available online on our website for individual purchase as well. Gotcha. But yeah, the real vision is really to have bulk bulk sales that you mentioned your 
friends that are orthopedists. And so you know, we want their, we want their practice to stock up on exactly. the um, Or have them, you know, in a hospital gift shop. So it's like yeah. you go in with your, you know, you're going to visit your friend who has X and you stop at the shop and you see there's a book about that that you can give them. And yeah. so something that, you know, that's easily available to patients instead of you came into the hospital with appendicitis and retroactively you're ordering the book. Yeah. I'd rather it be, you know, you came in with appendicitis and in the ED, you get the book. So it actually helps you then. Right, right. So, How long does it take you to, to move from uh, idea to finished product? When you said when you get focused on something, it kind of gets done. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm like a speed everything. So usually a weekend for a book. A weekend, okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So we should expect another 52 over the next year. Yeah. So I have to have the weekend off. So that's the caveat. Okay. Um, but but usually like I'll think of the idea. The stories are pretty easy to write. They're fun to write. And then the drawings are what takes the longest, but they're such simple drawings. And, and like I said, I am an amateur artist, so I have no perspective in these drawings are just fun for me and they're simple watercolor, pencil, watercolor, and then pen. And so they don't take long. And then honestly, the longest part is then sending it to my sister to read over for grammar mistakes, but she does it really fast. <laughs> but it's like the editing process. Is, uh, is is it, uh, you are pretty much living proof that whether you're in medicine or not, the, the truth is busy people get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, I, I do enjoy it. So it's like, you know, some people go home and watch TV and relax. I do like drawing. So it's, it's not like a, it doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah. So. so Maria, what's next? What do you see is the next step? Just adding more and more topics to the inventory? Is it spreading the word? Is it going on the Oprah show so that everybody can go? <laughs> what, what do you see as, as the next chapter in this, uh, this side hustle? So I feel super fortunate. Um, I'm very close to my sister. She's like, less than two years older than me. And she has a she has an MBA and a master's in education. And she recently left her job um, in finance to help me do this. Like literally last week, I love to operate. I love surgery. Like love it, love it, love it. I, I could not live without the OR. And so I love doing this, but I, there's no way I can do this on my own. I absolutely can't. Like I can create these books in my spare time, but the part where the disseminating and reaching out to hospitals and creating this website and I could not have done this without my family and my sister. So the next step is my my sister is going to kind of try to do the business side of it and see if, if we can get hospitals interested in acquiring them and, and try and giving them to their patients. And I'm going to continue to operate and draw my books. And so I, I feel just so fortunate that I get to do the fun part or what I consider the fun part. And my sister is going to, and props to my parents too. They're, they're always there to help as well and have been absolutely incredible. And so I'm very fortunate. That is fantastic. So now let's give the official shout out. So hopefully <laughs> we've got colleagues listen to our podcast. Hopefully we've got some hospital administrators, some some practice administrators. Um, how can people learn more about you and learn more about Strength of My Scars? Absolutely. So our website is www.strengthofmyscars.com. And we have a good amount of information on there kind of goes into our research and you can always email us for more details on the research. Tell us a little bit about my story and then my Dr. Dan Dandini, who's been helping me as a mentor, his story, 
and then shows all the books that books that we currently have available and gives you a little sneak peek into each one. I hope it's helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I uh, am excited myself to know about the resource. Again, it's uh, www. Do we even have to say the W's anymore? It's just I have no. My scars. <laughs> <laughs> we're in 2021 people know there's some oh my god i'm so bad at technology no uh, uh, so anyway strengthofmyscars.com check it out there uh, maria thanks so much for making time in the midst of what i know is a really busy schedule you're keeping right now uh, it's been great having you on thank you so much i've enjoyed this a lot and i really appreciate it Thank you for joining us for this episode of Prosperous Doc Podcast. Special thanks to our producer, Joanna Long, for her brilliance at finding awesome guests like Dr. Bamis George. Special thanks to the folks at Law Pods who clean up and edit our podcast and make them sound good. And I say this at the end of every episode, but really do appreciate if this has been helpful to you, would you mind subscribing to the podcast? Even if you don't listen to everyone, when you subscribe, it actually improves the algorithms within Google Play and iTunes so that our show surfaces to the top more when folks are looking for topics like the one we've tackled today. So we appreciate that. And as always, if you or a friend of yours has a cool side hustle or a story to tell that would be inspirational to your colleagues in White Coats, would you email me directly? It's shane at whitecoatwell.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.